for the teaching time, for the teaching time, we're going to do something kind of like a you ask for it. It's going to be big questions. And, and I have uh, something I want to put on the screen for a way for you to text questions in. And you're going to text whatever question you want to text in about God, about the Bible, about whatever that you want to know, maybe some question that you have. And, and we're going to, and this is how you do it. Here's an example on the side. You text 22333. I don't know why there's a dash there. Is there supposed to be a dash there? Automatically does it. And uh, thank you. And then you'll text that number, 641184, and then your question that you want to ask. And, uh, and so, and so this is how you do it. And so you can, at any time we, we have kind of a rule here where we say, Hey, during the service, during the message, things like that, we ask that you not pull out your phones for the simple fact that it's hard for you to pay attention to what God may be wanting to speak in your heart. It's distracting to the people around you. When you have the distraction of your phone for like half hour, we always ask that, Hey, keep your phones in your pockets uh, for that. But tonight we're going to let you bring your phones out and you can text in these questions. And then Coy, where's Coy at? Coy's over here, and he's going to be fielding those questions on a computer. He's going to be asking me those questions, and I'm going to be answering them in rapid-fire succession. Now, just so you know, there are some questions that need a little more time than rapid-fire succession. And we figured that there are some questions that are big questions that, that people ask all the time that I'm like, you know what, I'm just going to hit one of these big questions every week. So tonight, I'm going to hit for about 10 minutes the reliability of the Bible. Can we trust the Bible to be true? Next week, we're going to talk about the exclusivity of Christ, or basically, what does it mean when we say, you know, Jesus is the only way to God? Like, is that arrogant for Christians to make that claim? What about other religions? What about uh, all religions worship the same God? We just worship him in different ways, call him in different, in different things. What about the person in the tribe in Africa who doesn't know about Jesus and has never heard? We're going to answer all those questions next week. It's going to be awesome. Then the week after that, the big question that we're going to hit, because there's always, you know, in the culture and in the church and you hear this question all the time what what does the bible say about homosexuality what does it say about this conversation we're going to start out with that big question you can ask questions about it text those questions in we will answer those questions and talk about those things in an open format to get down to the core of some of the the big questions that you have about god the big questions you have about church the big questions you have about the bible and then the last week the last week, which is when we're actually going to show the top three rap videos, we're going to announce the winner of the cup. The last week, I'm going to be addressing creation and evolution. And you can text all your questions in, any question that you want to ask, uh, atheism, agnosticism, all that kind of stuff, we will be addressing that on the fourth week of the series. This is going to be legit, so get ready. And so tonight, if you have questions that do not deal with the ones, the questions that I just mentioned a minute ago that we're going to address later on, ask those questions. Questions like, okay, so, so who did Adam and Eve's kids, you know, have babies with? You know what I'm saying? Like, who did they have babies with? I mean, that's a legitimate question. You know, or, or, or questions like, man, how can there be this good God and like evil exists in the world? Those are big questions. Those are the type of questions that you can text in. Anything that you want to text in, you can text it in if you're curious about it. So we clear on that? All right, so this is what I want to do. I want to start out tonight, and, uh, and I don't know where my table is, so we'll just have to go without it tonight. Um, so uh, uh, we'll be all right. We'll survive. Tonight I want to start out and I want to talk to you for about 10 minutes and I'm watching the clock. So around uh, 8 we'll say 8.05 or so, and we're going to go to taking the rapid fire questions that you guys are texting in. Tonight we're going to start out with the reliability of the Bible. Is the Bible true? 
The reason we're starting with this series is because, or starting with this, is because every week when you come in, we open up the Bible, we teach you from the scriptures. And the reason we do that is because we believe the Bible to be true. Now, here's the truth about what we believe about the Bible. If the Bible is not true, then this is for nothing. This is for nothing. If you cannot trust everything in the Bible, then you cannot trust what Jesus did for us. You cannot trust the resurrection. You cannot trust these things. So this is a big deal. In fact, I say this all the time. If the Bible is not true and someone could prove that to me, I would no longer be a Christian. Here's the problem, though. The Bible is overwhelmingly, the evidence to back up the Bible is overwhelming. It's overwhelming. I've been studying this for years. This is, I'm a skeptic. I was agnostic, uh, maybe a little bit atheistic when I was in high school. I believed all of these different things and I would always go against the Bible. I would say, well, there's some good like moral things in the Bible. The Bible says some good things like don't lie, don't steal, don't do certain things. Like I know that's not a good thing for me to go like steal my bro's, uh, you know, iPod or something like that. Like I know that's not a good thing. So the Bible says some like pretty good things, but like I don't believe that stuff to be true. So let me tell you what the scholars say. First off, archaeology backs up the claims of the Bible. Dr. Earl Radmacher, he's considered one of the greatest, uh, one of the three greatest archaeologists to have ever walked on the face of the earth, says this. I have been accused of teaching the verbal plenary inspiration of scriptures, which means that the Bible was inspired by God. I want it to be understood that I've never taught this. All I have ever said is that in all of my archaeological investigation, I've never found one artifact of antiquity that contradicts any statement of the Word of God. Archaeology backs up the claims of the Bible. People are in the places that they're supposed to be. Places are in the places that they're supposed to be. All of the things that the Bible says to be true have fall in the place. When it talks about kings, we know that these kings existed in these time frames when the Bible says that they actually existed, etc., etc., etc. It's not only archaeology backs up the claims of the Bible, but history does as well. And we see this in, 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 uh, in what I was just talking about. It's, it's, it's historically accurate. In fact, when you look at the Gospel of Luke, Luke, uh, Luke was a doctor for Peter and for Paul, he, he traveled with them on their missionary journeys. Luke was, was intelligent. Luke was, was uh, an educated, very educated person. In fact, um, all scholars, whether secular or Christian, study the gospel of Luke because of the way that he writes, the way that he articulates during this time. It is, it is unbelievably super intelligent. He begins the book of Luke by saying, I have been careful to deliver to you an eyewitness accounts of the things that have been seen. He is giving us an eyewitness account. Now, here's the cool thing about the book of Luke. The book of Luke, after he writes it, is being circulated around in the first century. Every person that is reading these stories can, can come back and say, Luke, you're offline here. Luke, this is not what we saw. Luke, you're totally missing this thing. Luke, these people are crazy, but no one is writing anywhere contradicting the claims that the, that the disciples and that Luke and that Mark make in the four Gospels, the story of Jesus. They're eyewitness accounts. They're historical accounts. We even see this in that 
if you were going to fabricate a story, there are certain things that you may say, certain things that you may try to make up in order to make your story sound better. But even in things like, for example, Jesus, uh, Jesus um, being raised from the dead. The Bible tells us that, that, upon, that the first people that found Jesus, found the tomb empty, were women. During this day, a woman's testimony was considered half that of a man. They were not considered equals in society. Women were considered less. Their, their testimony would not even hold up in court. Yet, the disciples mentioned that women found the, the tomb empty first. If you were going to fabricate and make up a story about who found the empty tomb, why, why would you put women there if their testimony doesn't matter? The only reason you would do that is if you were trying to stick to the historical accuracy of what has actually happened in the scene. And so we believe that to be true about like the book of Luke is historically accurate. We also know that um, the transmission of the text that we have all the way down throughout history is astounding. So like, let me give you an example, and you probably will not be able to see this because I need a thick, one of these thick guys, but uh, uh, let me know if you can see this. Can you see that line? Awesome. Hey, uh, can somebody go get me a thick expo marker, Stephen or Coy or somebody? And, uh, and so, um, so let's just say that this line right here represents represents, oh, you are the man. Give it up. Give it up, give it up. So, can you guys see that line? Oh, yeah. All right, so here we go. So, so let's just say that, um, that, that, that this, is, uh, this, this part right here is, let's say this is like 1 AD. All right, and so we'll say, you know, BC is back this way, AD is this way. Jesus, Jesus was born somewhere around 4 BC. Some scholars suggest between 6 to 4 BC. I think it's closer to 4 BC. You say, hold on a second. I thought BC meant before Christ. How can it be four years before Christ? That doesn't make sense. Doesn't make sense, does it? That's because the calendar is done in a completely different way. So <laughs> we know that Herod the Great died in 4 BC. We know that Herod the Great sent out all the soldiers to kill all the babies under two years old in the town of Bethlehem which predates 4 BC. Therefore, Jesus had to have been born between 6 and 4 BC, which is what I believe. Jesus died somewhere around 30 AD. The testimonies of the disciples, the gospels that we have, the accounts that we have in the New Testament, they were all written after this time, around 40 AD, all the way to some, well, my, my timeline is a little long here, all the way to about, 90 to 95 AD is when the book of Revelation was written by John. Most scholars believe that John died somewhere in the early 90s AD. He was the last disciple alive. And then from here to here, we say 2014. Right here's year is 2014. And so this is what happens. People say, well, how can we trust that the text that we have today is what was written in this time frame right here? How can we trust that? Because as it's been passed down throughout history, how do we know that it has not been tainted? 
right? I mean, like there was the King James Bible that was written in the 1600s and the 17th century. And, and then there was, you know, and then there was this, this translation and this translation and this translation. And now we have this NIV translation and other translation has been passed all the way down. How do we know that it has not been tainted throughout the years? Here's how we know. Because the Bible that you have right there is not translated from this translation, and this Bible is not translated from this translation, and this Bible is not translated from this translation. They are actually translated from the, from the early documents that we have in this time frame right here. So when they actually translate the Bible into English, they go back to the Greek, they go back to the Latin, they go back to the earliest copies that we have of the New Testament. They go all the way back to the earliest copies. Now, here's the coolest thing about that. The cool thing about that is, is that we have over 5,500 Greek manuscripts that fall within the first couple hundred years after the disciples actually uh, passed away. Over 5,000 copies, and there are over 24,000 if you count those that are in that those that are in uh, different languages like Latin and, and uh, as as well as as Greek that were written, you know, in the first six to seven hundred years after Jesus uh, lived on the face of the earth. And so there's a mountain of manuscript evidence that we have that when they go to translate the Bible, they go back to these particular copies, and this is how we get the New Testament. This is how we know that what we have in the Bible is completely reliable that it's true that we are actually reading what these guys wrote that it hasn't been tainted throughout history see what happens is people say well you know there's the telephone game y'all know the telephone game right like where you whisper in somebody's ear and you whisper in somebody's ear and you pass it all the way around the room and like you know I say like to, I whisper in your ear like you know the cat is red and then you pass it around the room and by the time it gets to the back it's like you know Derek is the champion UFC fighter you know what I'm saying Yes, and you know, and you're like, how did it go from the cat is red to Derek is a championship US, UFC fighter? That makes no sense. It's the telephone game. And so as things have been passed throughout history, how can we trust it? Well, there's several things you need to know. The first thing you need to know is that when you're passing things, whispering in someone's ear, passing it down, you are passing down information orally, like through, through language, through your mouth. And so people can mishear what you're saying. But if I wrote down on a piece of paper, the cat is red, and I gave it to you, and then you showed her the piece of paper, the cat is red, that is you, you would write the cat is red. And if we did it written, and you copied what she wrote, and you copied what she wrote, and you copied what she wrote, and we passed it all the way to the back, it would be the cat is red. Unless you have that punk kid in the crowd, you know what I'm saying? You know the punk kid that's just like, hey, check this out, man. I'm just going to say something funky in the guy's ear beside me. You know what I mean? You know, you got like a, you know, you got, you got like a Devin Miller. You know what I'm saying? He's a punk, punk. No, I was kidding. Don't hurt me. He's way bigger than me. Anyways, and so look at it. He's like, man, what's up? And, and so you went, you know, so, so you write this thing. Devin says, I'm going to change this as I go along. Now, listen, these, these people, these people were so committed to handling the written scripture that what scholars say in fact i'll read you a quote from from an expert on this is that after every third person would yell back to the first person and say hey did i get it right did i get it right did, did you have the cat as read in fact i'll read you what um what he says if i can find it here it is all right 
Dr. Craig Blumberg, a seminary, <laughs> seminary professor and leading scholar on the biographies of Jesus, writes this. If you really wanted to develop an analogy of the checks and balances in the first century communities, you'd have to say that every third person would yell out loud the phrase and then ask the first person, do I still have it right? This is how committed they were. This is why. Because only the educated could write. Not everyone could write. And to write, to use papyrus or other, other things that they would write stuff on, like uh, lamb skin and things like that, in order to use these particular things, parchments, these things were very expensive. And so they would make sure that when they were copying things down, that, that, that they wanted to make sure that it was accurate. Now, during this time, memorization was everything. Most Jewish boys, by the time they were around 10, 8 to 10 years old, had the entire Torah memorized. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy, the first five books of the Bible, it is a lot. The first five books memorized. They didn't have a printing press back then, so they all didn't have a Bible that they could just open up to and read. So they would go to the temple, they would go to the place of worship, and they would pull out the scrolls, and they would memorize chunks of it so that they would hide the Word of God in their heart. This is, this is how they knew the Scriptures. And so memorization was a big deal to these people. And so they wanted to make sure that when they wrote something down, in particular Scripture, which, which they held at a high standard, they wanted to make sure that what they wrote was accurate. A lot of care was taken for it. In fact, memorization is even different today than it was when I was a kid. When I was in high school, I had every one of my friend's phone numbers memorized because I did not have a cell phone because we didn't have cell phones when I was in high school. Yeah, I'm old, man. Stop making fun of me, people. <laughs> They're like, you're not old. Thank you. Thank you. But I didn't memorize my friend's numbers. Now, like, I don't even know my wife's phone number. You know what I'm saying? I got to, like, pull out my phone. I'm like, oh, goodness. Oh, my phone. Uh, you know, I have to look at everybody. I don't know anybody's phone number. Memorization was a much bigger deal 15 years ago, and it was a much, much, much bigger year, deal a couple thousand years ago when this stuff was being transmitted. So now I know what you're saying. What you say? Think about this. I mean, these are the questions I have. Think about this. What would happen if, you know, the guy's copying down, and he's getting a little tired. Uh, it's late at night. It's late at night, and he starts misspelling words. And so he begins to write, and he writes something down like this. <laughs> what does that say? My youth pastor is the best. How can you still read it if I, if I spell the words wrong? Because I can read. Because we've been to kindergarten. Here's the truth. The truth is, is that if there's like a passage in the book of John and we have eight Greek manuscript copies of certain parts of that passage in John, none of them are this off. If there's ever any discrepancy, it's typically a punctuation type of thing. It's something that's small. It's something that's minute. It's not something that's a big deal. And when you have eight of them lined up beside each other and seven of them are perfect and then one has a couple little, little things, little misspellings or a punctuation thing, no big deal. In fact, scholars agree that 99.5%, and that includes uh, punctuation everything, of every piece of these manuscripts completely aligns pretty impressive. It's amazing. 
The earliest manuscripts we have date to around 117 AD. The earliest copies we have date to around 117 AD. That is a very tight, short time span from when the last disciple died and John in the late 90s. Too short of time for legendary development to happen. And people were alive during that time that still knew the disciples that are still affirming what the disciples said. And no one is speaking against what they actually wrote and what actually happened. What makes that cool as well is that we have other writings in history like Homer's the Iliad or people like Plato, Aristotle, Socrates, great philosophers that you guys will read about and study and maybe you already have. You realize that even in Plato's writings, the earliest copies of Plato's writings that we have were written nine centuries after Plato died. Nine centuries. Yeah, you see quotes from Plato all the time in philosophy. So it's pretty impressive. Now, what would happen, though, if they didn't just spell it wrong, but they switched the words around in the sentence? They switched the, That would be a big deal, right? Like you switch the words around in a sentence. Like if I was to say something like, like, um, like man bites donkey or donkey bites man, those are two completely different sentences, right? Like that changes the whole meaning. The order of the words matter in the English language, but in the Greek language, they don't matter. It's an inflected language like Latin. The root uh, of the sentence or, or uh, the way that the sentence ends, uh, uh, th- that is what determines the order of the sentence. So that's how you identify the noun, the verb, the subject of the particular sentence. It does not matter the order in which the words are in the Greek language, which is what the New Testament was written in. So even if they were in, in the orders differently, which never happens, but let's say they were, it still wouldn't change the meaning of the sentence. So that is just some of the stuff just to show you the reliability of the text, the reliability of the Bible, the mountain of manuscripts we have, the amount of evidence, archaeology, history, and the like that surrounds it. And I can go on and on. I could probably teach on this for another couple hours and be like halfway through my notes, but I'm going to stop. So if you want to text in any more questions about the reliability of the Bible, you want to text in questions about anything else, feel free. Hopefully you guys have already been texting them in. And uh, Coy's up here in the, with a trusty computer. This is so it'll be anonymous. We want you to text it in, not raise your hand, because we want it to be anonymous in case somebody wants to text in something. And I'm sure somebody will text in something crazy, you know, and that's fine. Uh, we'll, just, we'll just delete you. And uh, so, um, like, why do cows have udders? I don't know. God made them that way. People ask those kind of questions. So, what kind of questions we got? Let's do some little, little rapid-fire questiones. Okay, you ready? Why would God create Satan if he knew that he would sin and unleash evil? That's a good question. That's a great question. God, God created, and, and, and we know this about Satan. I'm actually going to be teaching on this uh, two, weeks, two weeks into the, uh, to, uh, after the series, we're doing a series on spiritual warfare. I'm going to talk about demons. I'm going to talk about Satan. I'm going to talk about all that kind of stuff. One of the things I'll talk about on Satan is Satan, Ezekiel tells us, was created as the most beautiful of all the angels. He was the worship leader in heaven. I mean, he was at the top of the top. He was the general of the, of the angel army. I mean, that's who this guy was. I mean, he was beautiful. The most beautiful thing God ever created was Satan. And Isaiah tells us that Satan, Lucifer, wanted to 
be like the most high. He wanted to be like God. He saw the worship of God. He saw all this kind of stuff. And he wanted to be like him. He wanted to have what he had. And so it says that he tried to raise up like him. And he was pretty charismatic because the Bible says that because of that, God threw him out of heaven. God showing his power. God showing his authority. God showing that nothing can compare to him. Nothing is even with him. Nothing is even close to second to him. And he kicks him out of heaven. He was so charismatic that the Bible says he took a third of the angels with him. That's pretty charismatic. And so we, you need to know that when you look at the character of Satan. Now, I think it goes the same. Uh, the question is the same for why did man sin? Why would God create Satan knowing that Satan will sin because God is omniscient, God knows everything, past, present, future, and why would God create man if he knew that man was going to sin? Well, there's two things that that I would say. One, God knew that in order to create something where love exists at the core of it, there has to be will. There has to be free will. There has to be free will. And so God did not create robots. God did not create things that were forced to love him, forced to accept him, forced to be in relationship with him. But God created them and gave them choice. He says, Adam and Eve, here you are in the garden. You can eat from any of the trees in the garden, but do not eat from this tree. My question was always, why did God put that tree in the garden? If he hadn't put that tree in the garden, they wouldn't have failed. But if he hadn't put that tree in the garden, they would not have had, they would not have had the opportunity to choose to be obedient to him. And through obedience is how we show love. And so I think that for love to exist, that has to happen. So God gave us a choice. God gave the angels a choice. And as a result of that, he fell from heaven. And so I think that's a part of it. The second thing I would say as a part of, of, of mankind in that particular situation is that God, you know, because God's omniscient, God knows past, God knew man was going to fall before he ever created them. That means that God also knew that he was going to send his son, Jesus, in the greatest act of love to sacrifice his life to, in order to restore man back to himself. God already had this plan in place, redemption, the plan of redemption in place, the plan of restoring man back to himself, even before God ever created one person and put them on the earth. So God already knew the act of love and the sacrifice that he was going to have to make before he ever created. Pretty amazing. So, All right. Um, Man, that was about, an easy one. <laughs> what, about, what about Old Testament laws like in Leviticus where it says you cannot eat pork? That's a great question because I love pork. <laughs> I like me some barbecue. That's a great question. Well, first off, you got to know that, that the Old Testament law, like Levitical law uh, in the book of Leviticus, the law was given, number one, to the Jews. The law was given to the Israelites. It was uh, during this time, it it was under theocracy. And theocracy is where God, theos, God is is kind of the, the, like he is the core. He is who governs society. And so the Israelites were governed by God in their society. They didn't have like a monarch, which they asked for later when they wanted a king because they wanted to be like all the other countries. Up to this point, prophets, God speaking through prophets would speak to the people. There would be leaders and things like this, but God is the one who directed and led. And so, um, and so what you, you first have to understand what the, uh, you first have to understand that um, that law, Leviticus, is priestly law. Leviticus is the laws that were given to the Levites. 
The Levites were one of the 12 tribes of Israel. These were the priests. And there were certain things that priests were not allowed to do. There were certain things that the holy people that would be making sacrifices for people, things like that, these priests would, 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 would have to do. And so Leviticus is the Levitical law. It is the priestly laws designed for the priests. Now, this is the cool thing. When you get to the New Testament, it talks about Jesus being the high priest. That Jesus is the fulfillment of the law. That Jesus being the high priest, that when Jesus sacrificed himself on the cross, he was the spotless, sinless lamb. Like every day the priest had to, or every, you know, for sin, the priest was sacrificing lambs all the time. Now Jesus, the high priest, has sacrificed himself. He defeats sin and death, raises from dead, and no longer do we need to sacrifice for sin anymore by sacrificing a lamb because the spotless, sinless lamb, Jesus, took away the sins of the world so that every person who put their trust and faith in him would be restored to God. And so that is, that is, yes, that is. So the entire, the entire Old Testament, the entire Old Testament points to Jesus. The entire Old Testament does. Every bit of it. And so Jesus was the high priest. He was the fulfillment of the Levitical law, the priestly laws. And Leviticus is the priestly laws. Now, some, some scholars suggest that the laws are broken down into three categories. There are the priestly laws, which are given to the priest. There are the, uh, there are the, uh, the, the theocracy laws, the laws that kind of govern the land, and, then, and we're not under that anymore. And there's the moral law of God. And the moral law of God would be things like, like thou shalt not lie, thou shalt not steal, thou shalt not kill, thou shalt not do these kind of things. These are all the Ten Commandments are under the law. The law was given to the Israelites. The law was not given to us. So you say, are we under the Ten Commandments? No, we're not under the Ten Commandments. What do the Ten Commandments do? What is the purpose and the point of the Ten Commandments? Well, Paul goes into great detail in the book of Romans and he talks about this. The point of the law is to show us that we are sinful. The point of following the law isn't to save you. The point of the Ten Commandments isn't follow the Ten Commandments and you can be saved because nobody can follow the Ten Commandments. The point of the Ten Commandments is to show you that you need a Savior. That's the point. Thou shalt not lie. Anybody ever lied before? Yeah, of course. Thou shalt not steal. Anybody ever stolen before? Guilty. Thou shalt not lust. Anybody ever lusted before? Now it says thou shalt not commit adultery, but Jesus takes a step farther and says if you have lusted as if you committed adultery with a woman in your heart. Anybody lusted? If you ain't raising your hand, you are smoking crack. You know what I'm saying? You know what I mean? I'm going to put up two hands. Here's the point. The point is, is that, that the, the law is to point us to our sin, to show us that we're sinful and that we're in need of a Savior. So that's the point. Hold on one second. You got a follow-up question to that? No, no, no. The laws were not made for Jesus. Jesus is the fulfillment of the law is what I said. The laws were not made for Jesus. The laws were given to the Israelites because they were under the old covenant. Testament means covenant. Old Testament is old covenant. Jesus talks about and brings in the new covenant. The new covenant that's in his blood. No longer do we have to sacrifice lambs in a temple in order to be for our sins to be forgiven, Jesus was the lamb. It's the new covenant. So the old covenant is gone. The new covenant is here in Christ. Does that make sense? And so, so that's what the bridge of the gap is from the Old Testament to the New Testament. All right. When we're praying, how does God decide whether or not to answer our prayers? And 
If he answers it differently, how do we know? Okay, this is what I would say. I would say that God answers every prayer. Sometimes he says no. <laughs> sometimes he says yes. And sometimes he says wait. But God answers every prayer. God answers our prayers sometimes with a no. Like, for example, when I was in middle school, there was this girl. Her name was Allison. Yes. And she was a hot little senorita. You know what I'm saying? So every night before I went to bed, I prayed that me and Allison would get married. God said no. Go Megan. Now here's the the rest of the story. By the time I was a junior in high school, Allison wasn't a hot senorita anymore. You know what I'm saying? I was not attracted to her anymore. And so I was like, thank you, Jesus, for not answering my prayers. And you're like, that's mean. But it's true, man. Some people, you're just not attracted to some people. Some people are just ugly. It's all good. No, it's good. And all things are beautiful in God's eyes, blah, 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 blah. <laughs> so, uh, so, <laughs> So, so the truth is sometimes God says no. And listen, when God says no, that is because God has a better yes for you. That's why. That's why. God said no to Allison because God had Megan for me. That's why. Here's the problem though. Here's the problem. When, when we pray and we're in the moment and God says no, we hate it. And we think God is distant. We think God doesn't love us. And we think, God, why are you saying no? And God is up there going, hey, listen, bro. I'm God. I know the future. I know better than you. And I've got an even hotter senorita for you. And one day you're going to meet her and you're going to get married to her and you are going to love her so much and you are going to be thanking me up and down that I did not give you what you wanted when you were some little seventh grade punk kid going through puberty and talked with a little squeaky voice. You know what I'm saying? And I'm like, praise the Lord. One more. What, hey, and listen, whatever questions we don't get to next week or tonight, we will, we will table them. I'll answer them next week, as well as new ones that you text in. We've got four weeks answering questions. We'll be hitting them for four weeks. So be thinking of questions and all that stuff as well. Go ahead. Um, Last one. Make it a quick one because we got, we're running short on time. We've got to get connection groups. First night of connection groups, how, I'm pumped. How can, I, how can I possibly reach someone who is against organized religion? How can I what? Possibly reach someone who is against organized religion? Well, this is what I would say. I'm against organized religion. (laughs) Religion, religion is all about, I've got to do all of these things in order to get to God. That's religion. Religion is all about rules. Religion is all about doing stuff. Religion is all about being busy. Religion, religion is, I've got to fly a plane into the building and blow myself up so I can go to heaven. That's religion. And Christianity is not about religion. Christianity is about a relationship. Christianity is about grace. Christianity isn't about what you do. It's about what God has done. That's, that's the truth. And so I'm against organized religion because I think organized religion is, is awful. 
I don't think this is organized religion. I think this is people coming together going, hey, man, God has changed my life through the power of Jesus. I don't deserve it because I'm a punk. And if it wasn't for the grace of God, I would be desperate and hopelessly separated from God forever. But praise be to God that he sent his son Jesus to rescue me, to change me from the inside out so I can now have a, the full life that God had designed for me all along. That's, that's not religion. That's not religion. And so what I would say is when somebody says, you invite them to church, so I'm against organized religion. Okay, well, um, uh, we're not very religious, so uh, you should come and check it out. It's not organized religion. It's organized relationships. And that would be like saying, I, I mean, you could, say, you could say football is organized religion. Right? I mean, think about it. There are people... There are people that are more passionate about the Atlanta Falcons than they are anything else. Hey, listen, my wife, my wife is a Pittsburgh Steelers fan. God bless her. I pray for her. I pray for her. She's a Pittsburgh Steelers fan. And I watch a Pittsburgh Steelers game with my wife, and it is like negative 40 degrees, snow's flying everywhere. You got big old fat dudes with their shirt off, their chest painted, horns coming out, and they're like, <sighs> you know, beer in both hands. Dude, they are worshiping the game of football. That's organized religion. I mean, anything that's organized, you can say is organized religion in that sort of a way. So anyway, I don't know. I'll get off my soapbox when it comes back. I just think it's crazy. All right. Let me give you guys a few things real quick. This is, this is, this is really important. Lock in, and uh, I'm going to dismiss you in like two to three minutes to connect your groups. Here's the deal. First off, first off, next week, next week, we kick back off from six to seven with School Wars. Now, now it's always more motivating when you know what's at stake. You know what I'm saying? This is a School Wars Championship Cup. All right? Yes, that's right. So here's the deal. This series is all about you inviting your friends. And let me tell you why. Hold on, pay attention. Hang tight with me. Let me tell you why. Because your friends can come here and they can ask questions. And they can get answers for some of their big questions. And they can come and they can hang out and have a good time. Because I think that God loves the party. We're going to be partying when we get to heaven. It's going to be a party. The Bible tells us that. It's going to be a party. And so we want to have a good time together. That's why we do that. That's why we have body zorbs. So you can invite people so they can come have a good time. And so the most people from each school gets points every week. And at the end, one of your schools is going to go on the side of this trophy. So make sure you're inviting people coming. Secondly, this Sunday starts life groups. Yes. And I am pumped. If you do not know what life groups are, Listen, life groups are something that we do from 4.30 to 5.45 on Sunday, and they are a deeper group. This is for you to get like deeper relationships. This is for you to go deeper in your relationship with God. This is for serious people, people that don't want to play around. This is for people that want to come in and say, hey, man, I got some, I got some stuff in my life, and I want to grow, and I want to get, get at this. And Hold on, hold on. Listen. Hey, guys, listen. This is serious. Today, today. I got on my Facebook because I was going to show somebody what body orbs were, and I had a video posted on there. When I pulled up my Facebook, which I hardly ever look at, when I pulled it up, I noticed the news feed that always comes up on Facebook. 
one of the kids, 19 years old, who was a freshman when I left the youth group uh, at the church I was at. He's 19 years old. He OD'd last night on drugs. Now, let me tell you something. I've been a youth pastor for 12 years. I've had about 25 or so students that have went through my high school ministry that have died because of stupid stuff. And the truth is, is that he struggled with that when he was in high school. I talked with him about it. He never got victory. He never stayed connected. He floundered by himself, and it cost him his life. And some of you guys are struggling and dealing with some stuff that I'm just here to tell you, you cannot get victory with on your own. You can't. I can't, and you can't. But coming together in a place like Life Groups and being able to be open and share some stuff you got in your life, the real stuff, and know that you have a group of men a group of ladies that are going to pray for you, encourage you, challenge you. You say, man, I may not know anybody in there. I promise you this. You give it one semester, you will know the people in that group better than you know anybody else in your life. I promise you will. If everybody in that group takes it seriously. It will be life-changing for you. Life-changing for you. And so I want to encourage you. I want to challenge you to get connected in a life group, to sign up. A lot of you, a lot of you have already signed up. They're in homes. They're by your schools, so you don't have to travel that far. We'll have signups outside. You'll get an email confirmation. that will tell you where, where the home is, all that kind of stuff. You go there. It'll be men from Lanier and, and you know, Buford at one place. There'll be men from you know, Collins Hill at a place. There'll be the ladies from Mountain View at a place. I mean, there'll be different school you know, from whatever school you go to. And, dude, it is awesome.